Before we get into this episode, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts and you enjoy listening to this show, please take a second to leave a review. It will help boost the show so that others struggling in a toxic workplace can find it. You can also go to my website, ToxicWorkplacePodcast.com, to send me a message, or if you have a story to share, send a submission request. Your story will be completely anonymous, and it will help thousands of listeners manage their own toxic work experience. I actually found out about the organization because upon moving, me and my wife got plugged in to a church, and we met different types of people. And we were actually plugged into a small group and the husband and wife, uh, the leaders of the small group, uh, the husband was actually the founder of this organization. So the executive director. This is Adam. Adam moved to a Midwest city to be closer to his fiance, who's now his wife, a few years before working for a nonprofit organization. He loves basketball and is passionate about giving back to his community. So when he found out about this organization, he knew he wanted to take part in its mission. So the goal of the organization as a whole is basically through the game of basketball to mentor and build up young men in the inner city. A lot of young men in the inner city grow up in, in a culture of, of basketball. And like every kid, including myself, like uh, has big goals and aspirations. And for a lot of these kids, it was to make it to the NBA or to play basketball on some collegiate level. And the vision mission of this organization was through the game of basketball to mentor and develop young men. And so, yeah, I just began volunteering every week. I would go every Tuesday and Thursday or so after work. That's kind of how I got plugged in. From the outside, this nonprofit organization seemed to be well-managed and effective in executing its mission. The exposure Adam had to this organization while being a part-time volunteer was positive and enjoyable. So when he got the opportunity to join as a full-time employee, there were no hesitations. But what Adam didn't realize was the executive director was the kind of manager who flew by the seat of his pants and had poor leadership and communication skills, which made for a miserable work environment. My name's Carly, and this is Toxic Workplace, a podcast that gives a platform to those who have survived highly toxic work experiences only to come out with newfound wisdom and a renewed sense of self. A toxic workplace is more than just the daily grind. It's a soul-crushing experience that will chip away at your sanity until you're about to lose your mind. It's an abusive relationship that's hard to leave. And the longer you stay, the more you lose sight of who you set out to be. Perception that I got was one of, like, excellence. It was, you know, seemed to be very well put together. I'm a huge fan of basketball and and just kind of the way that they try to accomplish their goals of mentoring young men. Everything that I heard about it was good. And granted, I couldn't find any sort of reviews online about it. And so all that I knew was from just word of mouth and everything sounded good. And even when I joined in on volunteering, my first connection with the kids that they serve, this organization serves, was something that I deeply admired. It was a lot of fun. I got to grow in really close relationships with uh, the young men that I worked with, uh, just in my volunteering role. 
And uh, some of the other volunteers came quite frequently as well, and they were seemed to be bought in to what was going on. So as I was volunteering, I was working for a local high school. It was a contracted position in the high school. So I had a three-year contract. When I knew that was coming to an end, I started to try and ask around to my connections about some potential jobs for when that contract ended. At this point, me and my wife were very close to getting engaged. And so I also wanted to look at places that were perhaps more viable and weren't just contracted. And I remember thinking, you know what, I'm just going to ask the executive director of this, of this organization, and I'll just call him George. And so I remember just like whispering in his ear every now and again, like trying to plant a seed of, hey, like I'm interested in, in a position. I would love to join on because at this point, all of my experiences with this organization were just really positive. And um, for about six months, he was just like, I don't know, we have to get it approved. And he's like, I think it would be great. We're actually looking for a position, but it took forever for this job opening to even be public. And so at this point, I had kind of forgotten about it. And then I get a call and like one of my last months contracted and it's from George. And he asks me if I would like to interview for a position. And the position is one of an administrative assistant. It was a pay increase. It was a position that I know wasn't necessarily contracted and then I could quickly jump into. Um, interview went great. I walked in and I literally left thinking like I crushed that and like I feel like I'm going to get a job offer. You know, I did. Later that day I got one and uh, I was really excited, literally on cloud nine because it was the perfect position. Uh, so I thought and we worked out like an arrangement where I would start part time until the school year was done and then I would jump in full time. And so actually in the interview, they actually mentioned that this position is new and you are going to be the first person in, in this position and the job description is a little vague. And so I'm, on one hand, I'm thinking, okay, great. Like there's a lot of flexibility. And what I wasn't realizing in that moment is that can also be a recipe for disaster because there's no parameters on what you're doing. And the lines quickly became blurred to where George, myself, and really the board members that helped hire me had no idea what I was going to be doing. It was just the job title was nice in theory. And because George was kind of drowning in the day-to-day, -day, he needed somebody else. And they didn't really think beyond that. Everything about this new position made sense to Adam. He'd already been a volunteer with this organization, so it felt like he knew the culture. George, the executive director, was willing to let Adam work part-time while he finished his work contract at the high school. It wasn't until Adam was being onboarded as a full-time employee that he saw the first red flag. Prior to jumping on full-time, you know, you have to get uh, your laptop, you have to get all the, all the onboarding paperwork done. They don't have any office spaces. We work from coffee shops, or we work from somebody's house, and... The first red flag that I got that, oh no, maybe this is not what I thought it was, was we are meeting and he's kind of going through onboarding with me. And I realized he has no idea how to do an onboarding. In the, our little meetings, I would just like go to, to coffee shops and he would think of the onboarding agenda like on the fly. And he would be, oh, and you probably need to know this. And oh, wait, oh yeah, yeah, you should probably know this. 
maybe I'm type A, but I would definitely have come in there with a list of like, okay, we need to go over this and this and this and this. But there was just so much disorganization. Our filing system was Google Docs, which is a great thing because Google Docs is free, but it's also a terrible thing because there's no limit with how free it is. There was this one doc called the Atom doc, and it was just like my onboarding. It was maybe 10 pages long of just things that he had copied and pasted from other docs, and he just threw them all in one doc and was basically like, you can go through it on your own. If you have any questions, let me know. And just starting on, you don't know what you don't know, one. And two, basically my job title, my job description, my onboarding was just an ever-changing Google Doc that was always being added to. A thorough and supportive onboarding process is critical for the success of any new employee. The onboarding process should lay out clear expectations of the new employee and the basis for their position. Without a clear understanding of what's expected, what the position entails, and how the operations of the organization flow, an employee can be left confused and deterred. Without clear direction, an employee will take it upon themselves to make their own direction, which can be frustrating for everyone involved. At most nonprofits, or at least uh, younger and smaller staff nonprofits, there's always opportunities to work evenings, overtime, weekends, just to catch up. Um, But stuff in the job descriptions included like vague things like assisting the executive director with, you know, A, B, and C, or helping meet organization needs. But I quickly found out that I was asked to do all these different odd tasks as far as just like, you know, getting food and making copies and being a communication liaison between our parents, our volunteers, um, our donors. Early on, I remember thinking, this is a lot, but I don't want to say no because I'm the new guy. Like, (laughs) who wants to say no as the new person? You don't want to show that like, oh, I can't handle it. I don't want to disappoint anybody either. Part of me understands that part of a nonprofit, sometimes you have to have all hands on deck and you have to just like go for it. But that became my regular workflow. And our like busy season of the year, which is the summer where we would have tournaments. And so I kind of jumped on right as tournaments for like every single weekend. So it quickly became into working evenings with different events. We would work out of a community center every Tuesday and Thursday night. And so we would have young men from the neighborhood come to the community center. And that's where we would hold practice. That's where we would hold our Bible study. And that's where we would feed them a meal. And so every Tuesday and Thursday, those three things were incorporated. So yeah, I would work evenings on Thursdays primarily, but then I was expected to work all day Friday as well. And so like flex scheduling really wasn't a thing because you just had to do what you had to do. And I think that extends from George's own ability to work long hours. He can just go, go, go for so long. It's his normal now. And I think he might expect other people to do the same thing, but I think he's just built differently to do those things. There was one day where it was like 6 a.m. and we didn't have our last game until 6 or 7 that night. And so like the entire day, if you're not playing, you're at the arena waiting. It can be a really long day. And I remember asking George like, hey, are these part of my job description? Like, am I required to be at these tournaments? Because in the interview, none of this was mentioned. And he said, well, technically, no, it's not in your job description. It's not in your requirements. but." We need you and we'd love to have you. What I heard was he's giving me a choice 
But I'm conflicted as to how much of a choice it was telling a new employee that, hey, you're not required to be there, but you're also new and we could really use you. When an employer claims that an employee has a choice, but there's an implication that the only acceptable decision goes along with their agenda, it creates an illusion of choice. It undermines autonomy, and it creates fear around making the wrong choice. This fear will stifle honest communication, which is why Adam kept pushing himself to keep up with George's demands. He wanted to stay in George's good graces. Another one of the red flags was at a board meeting. So we would meet on Friday mornings at a church, no less, at like 7 a.m. And it would be all our board members, and there was five of them. And then the three full-time staff were there. And um, in the timeline of this board meeting, the organization was looking for a basketball intern, an intern to help coach Daniel, the head of basketball operations, kind of function and to be kind of like an assistant coach, if you will. And in the board meeting, the whole conversation was about, well, how can we find this guy? Like, does anybody know of anybody in the area that would be willing to you know, make this much money for this amount of time and coach our young men, like in basketball. Coach Daniel, who do you want to work with? And so like this conversation was going around and around with the board and with George and Daniel. And I remember saying, guys, we have a volunteer and he's been a volunteer for years and he's decent at basketball. He loves the kids that we work with. The kids love him. He's not going anywhere. Why not just make him the basketball intern instead of trying to find a new one? And then the whole room kind of got quiet and they were like, huh, that's, that's a pretty good idea. And so then the conversation turned to, well, why not make this guy the intern? And then one of the board members who was like a more prominent board member, he's been with the organization ever since its beginnings. And uh, he said, well, you know, our, our kids are going to respect somebody who looks like they play basketball. He was like, you know, you look at Coach Daniel, he looks like he actually played on a national championship team, which he did. And you look at this other coach and he looks like he just left McDonald's. And the whole room kind of got really quiet and the room starts laughing. And I'm just like looking around like this is our top volunteer and we're saying stuff about him that we would never say to his face. And this is a Christian organization and we're having our board meeting that we have trusted to like steer and kind of like guide this organization. And we're laughing of his appearance, not his mind, not his character, not what he could bring to the table, not his skill level, but his appearance. And I was I was floored because this coach is a good friend of mine. But that was the first red flag of like, if this is an organization that actually cares about the Christian that they tag on to like Christian ministry or a nonprofit, this sort of stuff would not be being said. This stuff wouldn't even be allowed at a non-Christian nonprofit. If this is what we're saying about our top volunteers, what else is being said about other staff when they're not in the room? What's being said about me when I'm not there? Making fun of an employee behind their back is not only unprofessional, but also sets a negative precedent for the entire organization. Employers should prioritize creating a positive and respectful workplace culture to foster employee well-being and overall success. Culture is shaped by the behavior of its leaders. And in this instance, the mockery is coming from the board who are the decision makers of this nonprofit. If an employer engages in disrespectful or mocking behavior, it will contribute to a culture of bullying and fear, where employees are afraid to speak up. This situation was highly uncomfortable for Adam. Also in that same meeting, 
we were talking about funding and like uh, donors and how much they give because you know a nonprofit runs on donors. A couple gave fifteen thousand to the organization, and we were talking about how the funding should be used. And George, in a mocking tone, said like, "Oh, these people won't care where their money goes. They just care about like the pretty shoes." It was a tone of like. Well, they're too dumb to like know where their money actually goes. They just want a pretty shoe on the feet of the players. They'll throw money at anything. The way he said it was like really condescending. And so I remember coming home and sharing with my wife, I don't know what's going on. Like this is this is ridiculous. Like this is uncalled for. This is appalling in a way because everything that I thought up until that point about the organization was slowly kind of being washed away. George's condescending comment about how to spend the donor's money shows a lack of gratitude for the crucial role these donors play in sustaining his operation. George's lack of gratitude sets the tone for the rest of the organization. If George isn't thankful, the lack of gratitude will trickle to the bottom. One time in one of our meetings, Daniel was sharing his ideas with George, and George was like looking at him, you know, nonverbal cues of like, like acknowledging that I'm, I'm listening to you, he was hearing him. And then I remember I started to speak and, and George literally picked up his phone and was on his phone while I was talking. And so I, I literally stopped talking. And as I stopped talking, like, I'm not saying anything. And George just continued to look at his phone, like text somebody. And without me saying anything, he's like, uh-huh. Yeah, that's great. That's good. And, but I'm not saying anything. So he just, he, he thinks I'm talking. <laughs> it's like dead silent. And Daniel's staring at me like, what's going on and i sat there silent until george was done and then i just pick up right where i left off <laughs> like the disrespect like if anybody is talking let alone somebody that i work with and i pick up my phone while they're talking it's just so disrespectful and then there were actually times where, where daniel agreed with me and he actually speaked up um the difference between me and daniel is daniel is really good at basketball and george respects those who are better at basketball he just respects them more. And so George grew up playing basketball. He played in college. He started in his own basketball organization. And so he just respects people who are better at basketball. And uh, because the organization, that's what it's about, I think that's why Daniel, Daniel was more favorited. Daniel was also really good at his job, too. So, so I started to know like some little things, like in an email that I got from George, he didn't call me Adam. He called me the name of a previous staff member. So I was like, okay, that's weird. That, I know that person hasn't worked here in a while. Active listening is a crucial aspect of effective leadership. Its absence can lead to major communication breakdowns when employees feel ignored or undervalued. George's lack of acknowledgement was frustrating for Adam. He felt disrespected as though his opinion wasn't worth George's time. There were also some, like, I noticed some language uh, being used was kind of sexist. I noticed he would only call women who would disagree with him opinionated, and he wouldn't call men who would disagree with him opinionated. He didn't like the pushback that he got from a female board member. And so when she wasn't around, he would, like, make comments of, like, yeah, she's really opinionated and hard to please. And not once was I... Did I ever hear him make the same comment about a man who made similar pushbacks? Um, as I mentioned earlier, George would always come to 
our meetings, something would be wrong, whether it's his family or his marriage is in a rough spot. And one time he just began to share too much information about his wife and like her physical body. Like, so the things that I know she would never want anybody else to know, he would preface it with like, oh, she's going to kill me for telling you this. I shouldn't tell you this. Okay, I'm going to tell you. So they recently had kids. And so he would like tell me how her body had just like transformed. And um, he told me that her nipples were inverted because of breastfeeding and just things about her breasts and like how they were so like disformed because of breastfeeding. Oh, I, I'm not going to comment on this one. And two, what in the world makes you think that you can tell me about any part of your wife's body that that she would never share with anybody? Professionalism is a cornerstone of a healthy work environment. Discussing personal and intimate details about a spouse's body parts undermines a professional atmosphere and can damage the boss's reputation as a leader. George clearly has no respect for his wife's privacy. Not only is this a violation of her privacy, but it's a highly inappropriate discussion to have in the workplace, which made Adam feel uncomfortable. One of the big red flags was the organization as a nonprofit. It was really living and navigating in like the wild, wild west. Like there were no rules. Nobody's going to check in on a small nonprofit and make sure, you know, they have these certain standards. And if they do, it's very few. And so we're working with kids, but we in no way had like a sexual harassment training or procedure or like sexual assault or like any sort of training for our leaders or even for our staff. And that's something I didn't realize joining on, but over time, with other organizations like, you know, Boys and Girls Club or Big Brothers, Big Sisters, you know, they have protocols. And as we're brainstorming ways to like, you know, to pay for a training that we can just show all of our staff. And one thing you need to know about George is George really cares about pinching the pennies. He really cares about saving a buck or two when he can. So in this case, he was like, why don't we just make our own? Why don't we just make our own? sexual harassment or sexual abuse training and use that. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't know. Like there are people who are literally paid to do this and like, they don't miss anything. And he was like, no, I think we could do it. He's like, we can make a video. He's like, we can make a video about it. Like the rules for our leaders and for our kids. And he started to throw out ideas of like, oh, wouldn't it be hilarious if like a kid's face was all like on a stick and it came out of like the stall so he started to add humor to this when he was like laughing he was like wouldn't that be so funny if like one of us is like in the bathroom and then just a stick pops out with like a kid's face on it and like me and daniel like kind of looked at each other and we were like you know nothing nothing would protect us more in court if anything would happen other than like a funny sexual abuse training video i told my dad this and he was like uh the only person who would joke about that is somebody who hasn't lived through it or hasn't experienced it. George just doesn't know, like didn't know what he was doing. But I'm just like, you work with kids day in, day out. I think the next day or two days later, he was literally typing out all of the things, like all the rules that he wanted to have. And some of this stuff was nonsensical. Like I kid you not, an example of a sentence was, kids should not have on their clothing any sort of photo that would otherwise be allowed in a different context. Like just weird phrases that he's trying to sound like legit. 
and like up to standards, but it's not. He started to list all the things that shouldn't be on like a t-shirt. And I made the comment, like, I don't even know who would wear a shirt with like nudity on it or like anything like that. In a joking tone, he was like, I would. I totally would. If I was cool, I would. And he he continues to type all this stuff up. And I'm like, hey, I, I really think you should just run this through our insurance. Just run it through them and just be like, hey, can you type up some some like bylaws for us to use? And he was like, oh, no, no, I, I got this. Joking about a sexual harassment policy, especially when working with kids as a coach, is incredibly inappropriate. Making fun of this policy trivializes the seriousness and sends the wrong message about the organization's commitment to creating a safe environment for children. George's joking behavior could inadvertently contribute to the normalization of more inappropriate behavior from others. It started to impact every area of my life. I did not like going into work. I had high anxiety every single time my phone rang because I was afraid it was George. Because that's what he would do. He would just call you out of the blue. And like, like there was no agenda. There was just like, hey, can you do this, this, and this? And so I, I was on high edge. It eventually started to impact every area of my life. Like my marriage was suffering. My personal time was suffering. Like I couldn't even enjoy a day off because the work never ends. Could be the call today that I need to work. Or at the very least, I know I'm going to have to go back in tomorrow. And that sucks. So like... There was hardly any sort of um, respite from the anxiety that I felt. And so I remember my wife just like we were on a walk and she just stopped. And this was a couple months in. She just stopped and she was like, I really need you to talk about something else other than this organization. Uh, it, was, it was like all that I could think about, all that I could talk about, all that I would worry about. And she was like, this is consuming you and it's not good. Um, and there's really no side of it slowing down. There just wasn't. And looking back, I definitely think I made myself stay there way longer than I probably should have. I probably should have left way earlier than I did. And I just, I tried to gut, gut it out and like white knuckle it and just be tough and put your head down and work. And it just made me more exhausted. I started to write my resignation letter three months into the role. Um, like in my head, I was like, okay, I know I'm going to leave. And I, and this is what I'm going to put. Like I, I just started to mentally write my resignation letter. And so multiple times throughout my time there, like as early as like three to four months, my wife was like, you got to get out. Like you have to get out. I knew she was right, but I just told myself it's going to get better. It's going to get better. Like I just have to fight through this. Or maybe if I do this, something will change. There'd be a span of like three months. And she'd be like, you got to get out. Another span of three months, you got to get out. I started to talk with previous employees of this organization uh, because when I was volunteering, I got to meet some of them and I got to befriend some of them. And they were no longer there when I joined staff. That's another thing. There's a high turnover rate here, which I didn't even think about joining on, but there's a high turnover rate. And I remember reaching out to some of these former staff members and I was like, hey, this is what's going on. And I shared my concerns. I shared some of the things that I noticed. I shared just like the lack of leadership ability and lack of how to lead a team from George and just like his disrespect. And, and they were like, yep, that's exactly why I left. Like that's exactly the same things. And they were like, the thing is the DNA of the organization is the DNA of George because he has, he founded it 
And the reason it's chaotic and running at 100 miles an hour is because George is chaotic and runs at 100 miles an hour. The reason the ball is dropped in all these different areas is we were doing so many events, but they were all poor events. And I remember telling George, like, I'd rather do three or four big events a year and do those really, really well rather than just spin our wheels on all these other events and do them poorly. And this previous employee shared with me that they had brought up the same concerns with George. And this previous employee was actually from the inner city um, where we work. He said, hey, for these families, George, like, they don't need breadth. Like, they need depth. They need depth and they need consistency. And they don't need all these fancy events. Like, they don't need all these cookouts. What they need is, like, people in their lives that stick with them for long term. And he said that the message that he quickly realized was that the organization train is going to move and either you're on it or you're, you're off of it and nothing's going to change. And there's actually another employee that I actually managed to get on the phone. I was calling her for like funding reasons because she had given in the past and I actually got her on the phone and I said, Hey, like, how was your experience when you worked here? Cause she worked, she was an intern. And she kind of did some of the things that I did. And she was like, oh, man, like, you know, George, everything is kind of chaotic and last minute and always changes. And I was like, okay, so you're, you're experiencing some of the things that I'm experiencing. And she said, yeah, absolutely. I remember going home after the internship, like, with my mom and just, like, talking to her about how difficult it was and how terrible it was. Some of the things she mentioned was, like, George is all over the place. He was just have unrealistic expectations of like hey let's i want this venue booked for 50 people in like two weeks and we're like that's not gonna happen and he'd be like no no no, make it happen like it can happen a work culture that prioritizes work over personal life can have significant negative impacts on personal relationships and downtime a never-ending daunting workload can contribute to high levels of stress anxiety and burnout Adam was so wrapped up in the constant shuffle and demands of his workload that it made it challenging to engage in anything outside of work. At this point in time, I had had it. I was like, okay. I told my wife, like, you're right. I got to do something. Something has to change. And so I went to George and I said, hey, I'm not happy because the, the communication, the pace at which we go, and just like the lack of organization that we have as a company. and. We had brought the board into this conversation. At this point, I had met with the board and like they saw what I saw and they totally affirmed me and my opinion is like, yeah, George is kind of all, all over the place and he needs some training. He needs some help to run an organization. And I was told that, hey, let's take a couple of weeks to just think about the direction that both you and George want to move forward, you know, whether that's staying with the organization or, or if it's not, we want to do the best by, by both of you. And it's in that week or two lull that I was working one day and I was actually on George's Google drive because he had shared that with me uh, when I first started. And I was like looking at, okay, what are the, some of the things, some of the things that he's working on so I can maybe help him or help get ahead. And in his recents, I saw this document titled Adam history and I was like, (laughs) what, what is this? 
And so I, I didn't click on it because I'm like, I don't want any record that I was in there because that could be bad. But, but they show you a thumbnail and you can see some of the like stuff that's written up. And like, I remember reading it and I was very upset. One, because some of the stuff I was just hearing for the first time when I read it. And basically the whole document was like everything that I had done wrong since I started. It included some really petty stuff like running two to three minutes late to didn't have enough cups or napkins for this event. Really petty stuff all the way to stuff that, yeah, like I said, I read it and I was like, I didn't even know he had an issue with this. Like, why have I not been talked to about this? Another reason I was upset was because some of the things I fully take is like, yeah, I'm responsible. I dropped the ball there. I dropped the ball there. Like, that's not what I'm saying. Like, didn't happen. But what made me upset was my mind instantly went to, oh, wow, he's using this with the board to try and like portray me a certain way. When our conversation went really, really well with the board, they were kind of like grilling him to the point where I felt a little bad. Like they were like, well, Adam doesn't know his roles because your communication is not good. They would literally tell him that. And in that meeting with the board, George actually shared with me that his unset expectation was for me was like that I would come on as like a chief of staff and like have like <laughs> have all these roles and help him think through the organization direction like from a bird's eye view like 10 five 10 years out and i was like none of this was communicated with me he was always disappointed in me because i was never living up to those unsaid expectations that he had board members are not part of daily operations which gives them a limited visibility into what's actually going on so they have to rely heavily on the information provided by the executive director in this case george personal relationships between board members and George can introduce biases. George was well-connected and friendly with his board, some of them being longtime connections. So naturally, they defaulted to George's agenda, probably as a way to avoid conflict. George was now building a case against Adam. I definitely feel like George pushed me out, and that's because me and my wife actually went out of the country for like two weeks. And so all this was transpiring while I was gone. Like we had just had the meeting with the board and then we were leaving and we were going to come back. Well, once I got back, I messaged a board member and I said, hey, what's like, when's our next meeting? And I was told we will meet separately, just the board, and then we will meet with just George and then we will meet with just you. What ended up happening was a couple weeks later, I messaged George and said, hey, is there any updates on the board? And he's like, yeah, they plan to meet tomorrow. I said, okay. And then the next day, I just get a random text from George saying, hey, can we meet tomorrow at four or something? And I'm like, sure, what's on the agenda? And he says, I want to discuss with you what the board talked about. And so for some reason, I just knew this meeting was going to be big because George was being just vague enough to like not give me anything. And so I went into this meeting this is after I had already found the document. This is after I'm fully expecting a meeting with the board because that's what I was told. And George essentially slides a piece of paper across to me and he said, hey, the board has agreed with my decision to either terminate you or have you resign. I was a little shocked, 
and I said, okay, so this was your decision. And like the, the document clearly says the board agreed with his decision to give me those choices. So somewhere he overrode the board or convinced them to not give me that extra meeting with them. And I think I maybe poked the bear or went to the board and he didn't like that because he didn't look as good and got rid of me. Adam went into this meeting with George and the previous meeting with the board with the hope of making a change. A change that would possibly mend the communication issues with George and fix broken processes. But George knew Adam would challenge him to change his ways, which he wasn't willing to do. And he wasn't willing to listen to any suggestions or criticism of how he managed this organization. The board should have stuck to their word and given Adam a proper platform to hear out his concerns, but they never did. And so I left that meeting feeling very upset. I was, I was ticked off on one hand because I was told a process was going to happen by the board and that process didn't happen. I felt lied to. I felt kind of betrayed because I was told I would at least get a meeting. I would at least get some sort of official feedback outlet. And uh, I was also relieved because me leaving was always the end goal. And so just because it didn't happen the way it was going to happen, like I was just kind of relieved to, all right, like I know my last day. Like I don't, I don't have to wonder when it is anymore. Um, my entire time working there, I, I lost confidence in myself. The job and George made me doubt myself. The confidence that I had was just washed away because of all the things that I was told, like, hey, you're, you're lacking in this area. You need to do better in this area. Like, this fell apart because of you. It wasn't explicitly said, but it was kind of hinted at and just implicitly stated. And so I kind of worked through my confidence issues. And the more that I learned from previous employees, I started to gain my confidence back and just think, you know what, this is not me. Like, I'm not crazy. Like, George is not a good leader. So the stipulation with the resignation was only if you resign will you get any sort of severance. And so he just wanted, like, me to work, I think, two extra weeks. And so I worked those two extra weeks, and he's like, within these next two weeks, if there's any sort of slander or negative talk the organization feels from you, we will remove your severance. And so for the next two weeks, I like really didn't say anything to anybody. Um, but I was pretty upset because it was very vague, the stipulations and like the, the contract or so that I signed. I asked, can I, can I get a formal exit interview with the board to provide like feedback and have like proper closure? And he said, yeah, like we'll make that work. And I said, okay, great. That sounds, that sounds awesome. That's, that, that's my only request. Well, the next two weeks that I'm working, I'm like inquiring about it. I'm trying to figure out it, when can we have this? And it's my questions are just being dodged by George. He's like, I don't really know if we'll be able to do that. And then suddenly board members started to drop off as, as far as availability of like, oh, well, this board member can't meet with you. This one can't. Eventually, I was offered a phone call with just one board member and I declined it. And I said, no, like I want to meet with at least two people so there's some sort of corroboration because I don't trust anybody just to talk to one person and have that be told to other people. And so I never got a formal exit interview. And I thought, you know, certainly an organization that 
would desire feedback and how they can grow would want one. And part of it was I was relying on George to to try and put it together. And I don't think he wanted it, so I don't think it happened. So at, at, at this point, I was fully let go. I had gotten my severance. And I met up with two previous employees, and we just kind of talked about our experiences. Well, all of our experiences lined up. George is just a terrible leader. Like, he's, he's just a terrible leader. And so we all thought, okay, like, let's just try to, like, extend, like, an olive branch to George, and let's try to meet with him. And just to talk about like our experience, because we really want this organization to succeed. We really want George to like grow in these areas. What's the best way? And we realized, well, let's not go to his board. Let's just go to him and like let's request a meeting with him. And he just, he wouldn't meet up with us. Um, and so the main thing that I got when I left was this organization only wants feedback when it's on their terms. Exit interviews demonstrate a commitment to open communication and transparency, and it shows employees that their opinions and experiences are valued, which creates trust and openness. Feedback obtained from an exit interview can highlight areas of needed improvement. It's obvious this board doesn't value communication, which is why George continues to get away with his poor leadership. As hard as it was to get pushed out, Adam soon realized it was a weight lifted off his shoulders. I asked him what he learned from this experience and what his advice is to others in a similar situation. The first thing would be to speak up, vent your frustrations, vent your concerns, vent ways that you think things could get better and like establish a a line of open communication with your boss, with your superior, with with somebody else um, in the organization, because that's something that I didn't do. For the longest time, I just tried to grit it out and just put my head down and work. And I, I can't help but feel like if I were to speak up sooner or open my mouth and share like, hey, that's not right. Or I really think this is the way we should do it. Or I think you're wrong in a respectful way. I think that only would have helped. I definitely consider it a success uh, leaving the organization. And I consider it a success because of the things that I learned about myself, the things that I desire, the things that I do really well, and the things that I don't do well. I think for the longest time, I told myself, I'm a failure if I leave. I'm a failure if I don't see this out and I don't see it through to the end. After leaving, I realized that, you know what, like my time there, even though I left in, you know, a not so, maybe not the best way, like it's not a failure because the things that I learned about myself, like, the work environment that I thrive in, the specific tasks that I thrive in. I know I have giftings and I have skills and I have things that I'm just naturally good at. And none of those things were really pulled out of me in those jobs. So I learned that I don't want to be in a position or a job that doesn't do those things. Adam has since started working for a new organization that has better leadership, structure, and who value him for his attributes. Going through this toxic workplace experience helped him discover his value, which has given him a renewed lease on life and his career. Discovering your true value is a journey toward unveiling your authentic self, the person you are beneath the weight of stress and anxiety. Realizing your true value involves reclaiming your power. It's a declaration that your thoughts, feelings, and aspirations are valid and deserving of acknowledgement. 
this act of self-empowerment becomes a catalyst for positive change and a fulfilling life. Next time on Toxic Workplace. Tried to go see a judge about a restraining order, and the judge knew the guy and was like, you don't have to worry about him. We're not giving you a restraining order. I showed up at the judge's office alone and walked out alone in tears. And then this new guy leaves, and now I'm alone again with a stalker. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you have a story to share, please go to ToxicWorkplacePodcast.com and click on Be a Guest. Your story will be told anonymously. All names are changed to protect the employee and the company. And don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts.